0: Alright, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say beforehand to those who were here last week, my apologies for the repeat of the material, but we're going to be doing the same thing we did last week. Okay, we are continuing with our consideration <clears throat> of the threefold mediatorial office of Christ uh, in chapter 8, section 1 of the Confession. And we have considered Christ as prophet and priest already. And so tonight we will be considering Christ as king. Um, But before we get to that, um, I'm going to read uh, chapter 8, section 1 of the 1689 Baptist Confession. It says, God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, according to the covenant made between them, to be the mediator between God and humanity. God chose him to be prophet, priest, and king, and to be head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world. That's what we're going to be focusing on tonight. From all eternity, God gave to the son a people to be his offspring, In time, these people would be redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified by him. All right, so to cover Christ as king, it might be helpful to define his kingdom. Uh, I looked up the definition for king first. Uh, Among other things, a king is, quote, a man who holds by life tenure and usually by hereditary right, the chief authority over a country and people. And then I looked up the definition of kingdom. I said this last week, but I'll say it again now because we're recording it. Uh, my grandmother would be proud of me that I used the dictionary twice. Anyway. Um, what? Not that grandmother. I'm talking about my other grandmother. She's okay, though. <laughs> um A couple definitions I found for a kingdom were that it is a politically organized community or major territorial unit having a monarchical form of government headed by a king or, more simply, an area or sphere in which one holds a preeminent position. I think that last definition really covers what we're talking about, but the other one does too. Uh, These definitions are mutually dependent upon each other. Uh, You've heard the saying, as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. But it's also true that there is no king apart from a kingdom. Uh, Take away the kingdom and the title king is rendered meaningless. King of what? Right? So for there to be a king, there must be a kingdom. And for there to be a kingdom, there must be a king. They're mutually dependent upon each other, at least in that sense. And so as we begin this topic... Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. And um, here we read of an important conversation between Pilate uh, and our Lord in the lead up to his death. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 18, and it'll be verses 33 through 40. John 18 verses 33 through 40. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this too. Um, if you want to go ahead and get ahead of the game and have your finger on the next passage um, after this, I'm going to be going to Matthew 21. Okay, if you just if you want to get ahead of it, you don't have to. Um, anyway, alright, so I'm going to read the passage in John 18 first, though. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber or probably more correctly, an insurrectionist. All right, so there are a lot of things recorded that Jesus said about his kingdom in that passage we just read. So first, he begins by confirming he is a king simply by talking about his kingdom. Uh, Only kings have kingdoms, right? So for him to have a kingdom, he must, by logical deduction, be a king. And this was not lost on Pontius Pilate as he responded to Christ, so you are a king, as soon as uh, Christ finishes that first um, uh, opportunity for him to speak. So then next... Jesus does not refer to himself as the king of the Jews, which is what Pilate originally asked. So notice that. Rather, he says his kingdom is not from this world, meaning this fallen world system, because if it was, his servants would be fighting to rescue him from his then present circumstances. Christ's kingdom is not from this world. It is from heaven. That is not to say that Jesus was not the rightful king of the Jews. Recall that he is the greater son of David and rightful heir to David's throne. Okay, Less than a week before this conversation between Pilate and Jesus, uh, Jesus said to the chief priests and elders and Pharisees of the Jews that the kingdom of God would be taken away from them And given to others. And that's where I want to move to Matthew 21 for just a moment. Hold your spot in John 18. We're coming back to it. But I just want to briefly read uh, at least that portion of that conversation. So Matthew 21 verses 42 through 46. So this is Jesus speaking to those who were soon to uh, deliver him up for crucifixion. He says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, Jews, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Okay, so what we can see from there so far, the kingdom that Jesus uh, uh, presides over is not, in in the human earthly sense, it is not the kingdom of the Jews, okay? Now, we can make the argument that it is a kingdom of true Jews, and it has Jews that are physical Jews in it. Uh, So this is not a license for some kind of anti-Semitism nonsense, but nevertheless, this is not an earthly, oh, he's reigning over that piece of land in the Middle East and the people that live there. That's not what's going on. Uh, But anyway, I stopped in the middle of the passage. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Okay, so... Another thing to uh, notice here in this passage... Um... Jesus says that if his uh, kingdom was of this world, that his servants would be fighting to deliver him from the Jews. He says, uh, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. So he is not exactly affirming what Pilate said. But he's also not denying that he's a king, okay? That, so that's an interesting thing to uh, notice. And then also, uh, and indeed, that these Jews, that this is specific Jews now, but it, these Jews are the same people who later the same day would cry out, we have no king but Caesar. Um, and that's in John 19.15 if you want to look at the reference bear in mind, Caesar, we we often refer to the government as Caesar because of the way that it's referenced in the New Testament, and I think that's appropriate. That's fine. But recall, they're talking about actual Caesar, not just that's a term for government. They're actually talking about Caesar. And remember, Caesar is somebody who claims deity for himself. So think about what was said there. It's not just, well, we are loyal to the head of state. No, what they said was we reject the true God in favor of this false God who has given us prominence. Okay, That's why they wanted to, uh, well, it's one reason, it's not the only reason. It's one reason they wanted to deliver Jesus over for death because they felt like he was going to mess this up for them. Um, They were propped up by the Roman state. So really, their loyalty lied there. They spoke the truth on that one. Um, They had no king but Caesar. And then finally, Jesus said the reason he came into the world was to bear witness to the truth, and those of the truth listened to him. So this gives us an idea as to the identity of the citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Um, This is also going to be the same group of people that Jesus referenced uh, back in the Matthew passage, that it'll be taken away from you and given to those. That, so that those is uh, uh, consist of Jew and Gentile together, um, or true spiritual Jews. All right, so that's that passage. Uh, before I move on to the next passage, has anybody got anything they want to add on that? The next passage is Matthew 28, by the way. We're looking at, now, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 20. All right, so Jesus has risen from the dead in this passage, all right? Now we're, first passage we're talking about the lead up to the crucifixion. This is after, and he has risen, okay? He appears to his disciples and gives them the commission. All right? Go, make disciples of all the nations. So let's read this passage real quick. Picking up in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the command at creation was for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with God's images. The Great Commission, the command at re-creation, is meant to fill the whole world with God's restored images who are made after the image of Christ. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday. And This command is made on the basis of what? And this is what makes it relevant. Jesus bases his command in the fact that all authority or rule and reign, such as what a king would do in both heaven and on earth, has been given to him. This authority is given specifically in terms of his mediatorial role as king and does not reference his eternal sovereignty as king. And this is how I know that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God has always had this power. All right? So this is in a specific fashion that Christ is reigning in this way. Um, A. A. Hodge explains this, uh, this concept I'm, I'm hitting at here. He says, quote, This lordship differs from that which belongs essentially to the Godhead, A, because it is given to him by the Father as the reward of his obedience and suffering. B, the object and design of this mediatorial kingship has special reference to the upbuilding and glory of the redeemed church. C, the dignity and authority belong not to his deity abstractly, but to his entire person as God-man. This power and lordship Christ already possesses And it extends over all creatures in all worlds. And of this kingdom, there shall be no end. All right. So a few passages on Hodge's um, comments that I want us to go in back and look at. So let's start with Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this will be verses uh, 6 through 11. So this one is in reference to um, this lordship being given to Christ by the Father as the reward of his obedience and suffering. Okay, that this is a proof text for that. So Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11. Actually, I'm going to back up because that's in the middle of a sentence. Let's start with verse 5 through 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Seeing that consistency there with what we read in the um, Great Commission. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Alright, another uh, proof text that I want us to look at, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. This is, uh, of course, this is looking forward to the coming of Christ, but um, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. And now this is um, this is in reference to the dignity and authority belong not to his deity abstractly, but to his entire person as the God-man. Okay? And also that Christ currently possesses this power. This is something that was bestowed on him uh, at the resurrection. Another proof text uh, On this point Acts chapter 2 So this, We're still looking at the same point right now So Acts chapter 2 And this will be verses 29 through uh, 36 This will be Peter speaking to Many of these same Jews That we were talking about um, So Picking up in verse 29, in chapter 2 of Acts, it says, Brothers, and he means specifically Jewish brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb, is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. The resurrection of the Christ is the seating of the greater son of David on his throne. Okay? Don't miss that. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of uh, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, talking about the day of Pentecost, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Quoting from the Psalms. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And of course, we would keep reading, we go on to read that uh, 3,000 of them were converted that day and did what, morally anyway, they should have done before and recognized Jesus as their king at that time. Um, okay, so then one more passage before we move on, or two more passages, excuse me, before we move on. Um, this, this is to specifically look at this kingdom of Christ has no end. So first one, Daniel chapter 2. could read of this entire dream uh, for Nebuchadnezzar. I won't do that <laughs> um, to save time. Uh, just suffice it to say, he had a dream about kingdoms of the world and all but one of those kingdoms passes away. And so picking up there in verse 44, Daniel 2, 44 All right, it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And then one final passage. It is the Christmas season. I don't know why we would leave this out. Luke chapter 1. Verses 32 and 33. So uh, Gabriel has appeared to Mary to announce to her what is about to occur. That the Son of God is going to be put into her womb. Uh, She's going to be a virgin who is going to conceive in this way. um, And she is going to give birth to the Son of God. (laughs) And so in the midst of this announcement to her, Gabriel says these words. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. will give. See, at that time it was future. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So this is an eternal kingship. All right. Louis Burkhoff similarly states that, quote, As the second person in the Holy Trinity, the eternal Son, Christ, naturally shares the dominion of God over all his creatures. His throne is established in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all, Psalm 103, 19. This, kingly, uh, or this kingship differs from the mediatorial kingship of Christ, which is a conferred and economical kingship, exercised by Christ, not merely in his divine nature, but as Theanthropos, the God-man. The latter is not a kingship that was Christ by original right, but one with which he is invested. He does not uh, pertain, or excuse me, it does not pertain to a new realm, one that was not already under his control as son of God, for such a realm can nowhere be found. It is rather to speak in the words of Dick, his original kingship, invested with a new form, wearing a new aspect, administered for a new end. In general, we may define the mediatorial kingship of Christ as his official power to rule all things in heaven and on earth for the glory of God and for the execution of God's purpose of salvation. We must distinguish, however, between the Regnum Gratia and the Regnum potentate yeah, I can never say that word right, guys. Okay, um, I'll explain the Latin terms in a minute. Don't worry about that right now. So let me repeat the, that last part because, again, it defines what is being discussed in the confession here. Okay? He said, in general, we may define the mediatorial kingship of Christ as his official... But it has it has some officiality to it. Has official power to rule all things in heaven and on earth for the glory of God and for the execution of God's purpose of salvation. So He has all authority in heaven. He has all authority in earth. And we need not think of it in terms of well, He's reigning in heaven and earth is going to pot. Jesus is Lord of earth too. Okay. Um, now, let's, uh, let's briefly consider this distinction that was mentioned by Burkhoff between the Regnum Gratia, which means kingdom of grace, and the Regnum Potentatia, I probably slaughtered that, kingdom of power, okay, so the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of power, all right? Okay, so first, the kingdom of grace, This refers to Christ as, quote, the head and Savior of the church. And that language came from the confession, which took it from Scripture. So this is also covering the next part of the confession. So this refers to Christ as the head and Savior of the church. Uh, It refers to the spiritual kingdom of Christ. God in Christ saves and elect people for himself. He calls them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Christ. The Greek word translated as church is ekklesia. This Greek word is a combination of two other Greek words, ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means to call. Thus, the word literally means the called out ones or the called out assembly. All right. So, let's look at, um, on this point, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 11 through 20. So, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. All right, uh, picking up in verse 11, it says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth. This is looking at him as deity. Okay, so this was this is the uh, kingship that he has by right, um, originally. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that second part, the reconciling all things to himself, that required his incarnation. So that's this second type of kingship, his mediatorial kingship that we're talking about. So you see both in this passage. All right. Um. Your hardest boss writes quote, The church is a form which the kingdom assumes in result of the new stage upon which the messiahship of Jesus enters with his death and resurrection. So far as uh, extent of membership is concerned, Jesus plainly leads us to identify the invisible church and the kingdom. It is impossible to be in the one without being in the other. We have our Lord's explicit declaration in John 3, uh, 3 and 5, which we'll go to in a minute, to the effect that nothing less than the new birth can enable a man to see the kingdom or enter into it. The kingdom, therefore, as truly as the invisible church is constituted by the regenerate, the regenerate alone experience in themselves its power, cultivate its righteousness, enjoy its blessings. Quote. So let's turn to that passage in John 3 just to read what he's talking about there. Uh, I'm actually going to read more than he quoted. I'm going to read John 3, verses 1 through 8, um, just to give us the context for the other two verses that he was talking about. So John 3, um, verses 1 through 8 Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we see that this is a, uh, at least in this sense, this is a spiritual reign. Okay? Um, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So that is the kingdom of grace. That is specifically referring to the invisible uh, universal that we confess every Sunday church. That's what that's referring to. That is the spiritual reign of Christ in the hearts of his elect people. Okay. Before I move on to the kingdom of power, does uh, anybody have anything they want to add to anything? Take that as a no. All right. So let's move on to the kingdom of power then. All right. The kingdom of power refers to uh, Christ as the heir of all things and judge of the world. Again, to use the language in the confession. Okay. As Burkoff states, this refers to quote the dominion of the God Man Jesus Christ over the universe his providential and judicial administration of all things in the interest of the church. As king of the universe, the mediator, so guides the destinies of individuals, of social groups, and of nations, as to promote the growth, the gradual purification, and the final perfection of the people, which he has redeemed by his blood. In that capacity, he also protects his own against the dangers to which they are exposed in the world, and vindicates his righteousness by the subjection and destruction of all his enemies, in this kingship of Christ we find the initial restoration of the original kingship of man. Read into that the restoration of the image of God. The idea that Christ now rules the destinies of individuals and nations in the interest of his blood-bought church is a far more comforting thought than the notion that he is now a refugee on the throne of heaven. End quote. So this is the idea that not only is he king of the church, he's also king of everything outside of the church. Okay, um, And he sovereignly guides all of that stuff outside of the church for the good of his church. Think Romans eight twenty eight. He works all things for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. We talked about his purpose. That there would be, uh, that Christ would be the firstborn among many (laughs) brothers, that the image of God would be restored in his elect people. Again, Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. We need to be careful to understand that this aspect of the kingly office uh, for Christ is broader than the church. It certainly includes the church, and it works for the good of the church but it is broader than the church. His kingly sovereignty extends over the whole cosmos. He directs history in such a way as to ultimately result in the good of his people unto the glory of God. The, uh, this type of authority extends to all spheres of human sovereignty. Okay? And most of the time, reformed people will say there's three spheres of sovereignty I think we should say four. So here are the four spheres of sovereignty, according to Jonathan. Um, We've got individual. That's the one that's added. Individual, family, church, state. And it also extends to authority over all the laws of nature and time and space. In other words, Christ is sovereign over all aspects of the created order. If you can conceive of it, he's sovereign over it. As Abraham Kuyper famously said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. <clears throat> Dr. Joseph Boot of the Ezra Institute explains, Quote, What the Bible understands by the kingdom of God is the rule and reign, in particular, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is king he is the king of a kingdom. He is sovereign over that kingdom. He gives law within the context of his kingdom. And that kingdom is, biblically speaking, cosmic. It's over all of creation. Everything is being brought into subjection. That's what Paul makes clear in Ephesians 1, which we, again, talked about Sunday. In Colossians, which we just read, the book of Hebrews uh, makes crystal clear that all things are being brought into subjection to King Jesus. So the kingdom of God is wherever Christ is ruling and reigning. All right, so on this point, uh, I've got actually several passages I want us to go through on this point, and then I guess we'll be done. Uh, Let's go to Psalm chapter 2. Let's start there. I said this last week, but most of you weren't here to hear me say it, so I'll say it now. Um, I think this is a really good passage to revisit over and over again uh, as we are in a, at least in our nation, we're in a time where uh, we are increasingly, and with increasing speed, uh, as a nation, rebelling against the king. Okay? Um, I can tell you, I remember, uh, when the Obergefell decision came down, which is the one that said that, uh, gay marriage, gay marriage is a thing. Okay. Um, it's not, but that's what the decision said anyway. Um, I, my mind immediately went to this song. And so, uh, Now that the Senate has put that into uh, law, not just case law, but it's actually in the code now, or after our dear leader president signs it, Um, let's revisit it and see. Uh, It says, why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Does that not describe our situation? He who sits in the heavens laughs. This is why it's comforting to me. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Kings make decrees. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession, if that wasn't clear enough. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear. Okay, you, now back in our context, Caesar, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you, Caesar, perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We're the ones taking refuge in him. How comforting, right? But anyway... That obviously speaks to the kingship of Christ because the logical question is will he fail to ask of the Father for the nations, for his inheritance? Of course not. Um, so, this was quoted in the passage in Acts earlier, what we're going to go to now, but we'll actually read the psalm which we quoted from. Psalm 110. I might be wrong, but I really I want to say that. Uh, Psalm 110, 1 is the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament if I remember correctly uh, yeah I think so so other, in other words it's pretty important okay so Psalm 110 I'm going to read the entire Psalm but that was just true verse 1 so it says the Lord says to my Lord or read it this way Yahweh says to my Adonai so there's a distinction of per- persons there The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. I mean, really, though, it is. I kind of chuckle at it, but it is. Um, The gospel is the good news to some really bad news. It's in response to something. They need to know they are under the judgment of a holy God, and this is the only way out. Um, Okay, we're going to take these two passages together because they're basically the same passage in different places. There are some minor differences Go to Isaiah chapter 2, and then if you want to go to Micah chapter 4, these basically say the same thing. Uh, We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 2, though. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 2, verses 1-5, through it says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that he may... Or that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go the law in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then if you flip over to Matt, uh, not Matthew, Micah excuse me, Micah uh, chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5, very similarly, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that, he may, uh, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Again, remember, hosts is armies or military force, Okay. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. All right, uh, another passage out of Isaiah, Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 through 9. Okay, Isaiah forty-two one through nine. It says, "Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him." There's the Trinity. Uh, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Okay, the coastlands would be those outside of Israel. Okay, this is a reference to Gentiles, the coastland parties. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Alright, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. I may just call some of these uh, scripture references out for you guys, the ones that are taking notes, because we're starting to run short on time, and I'm certainly not going to get to all of these scripture scripture references, so I'm going to try to hit the more important ones, I think. (laughs) or Maybe more clear ones, that might be the better way to say that. They're all important. Um. This is Daniel chapter 7. Now this one is very important because this explains to you why Jesus likes to call himself the Son of Man. That was his favorite title for himself. And so this is where he gets that from. Um, So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All right, I'm not going to read this one. I'm just going to call it out so you can see it yourself. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Okay. Not gonna read that one, but that one's also relevant. Um, all right. Uh, I would also refer you to Matthew six, I think it is, where you've got the Lord's Prayer. We pray that your kingdom come. Why would he tell us to pray that if he wasn't gonna grant that? Um Okay, and then Matthew 25. I'm not going to read this one either because of how long it is. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 is another one. Um, I'll just read one verse out of that, but you really need the whole thing out of it. Verse 34 in that passage says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Key verse in that passage. Alright. Another one. This one I do want to read. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 20 through uh, 28. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So we're connecting this to His resurrection. Okay, don't miss that. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, which means he had the kingdom in his hand to deliver to God, right? The Father uh, uh, To God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection it is plain, that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Alright, the next passage I am intending to uh, it on Sunday, so I'm not going to read it right now. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. In case you didn't know, that's what I was going to preach on Sunday. Um, There you go. Now you know. Um, The next one would be 1 Timothy 6. 1 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16. When you come, bring the cloak... No, that second excuse me that's second Timothy Rome chapter first Timothy uh, 6 and verses 13 through 16 I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable life, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Um, And then this will be the last one I read. I'm going to reference some more for you. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 1. verses 1 through 4. This is, the, this is what was being alluded to by Joseph Boot in that quote that I used. This is what he was talking about. So Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews, yes. He, yeah, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to show how he is superior to angels and even ascribes deity to him. You can use that on your... Jehovah's Witness acquaintances um, okay since we're out of time and I'm going into overtime now I'm just going to give you the rest of these all of the rest of them are in Revelation okay so Revelation chapter 1 Revelation yes singular no no S Revelation single Revelation Revelation The larger title, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. That's the first reference. All right. I put these together. So read these two together Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. And then read with it. That extremely controversial part of Revelation, you know, all of it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Chapter 20 is where we get all of the millennial stuff going on. That's why I said it's controversial. Anyway, chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. So 6, 9 through 11, and twenty, four through 6. Read those together. And then uh, Revelation, chapter 17, verse 14. And then finally, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. Everybody who wanted that, get all those. Got them? It was 17, 14, and then 19, 16. Yeah. Just wanted to at least give those to you, even if I don't read them. That way you can go do it, uh, read it for yourself. All right. Uh. That's all the scripture references. Does anybody have anything else we need to discuss on that topic? So, um, Christ is Lord over all. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven above, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are grateful that He has taken on the office of mediator between God and man. We are thankful for what we've talked about tonight as um, that portion of his office as mediator, as our king, and not just king of the church, but king over all. Um, it is very comforting, and we're thankful for that, that we can know that our Lord and Savior is sovereign even over every little thing that causes us suffering. So help us to live in that uh, peace and that comfort even when we have troubling times, uh, even when we see um, the world around us devolve into chaos because they refuse to recognize uh, his lordship. Lord, uh, help us to obey our king and confront that sort of evil. um, Not that we war. Uh, against it physically, but rather that we war against it uh, in a spiritual sense. And Lord, we pray that, as part of that, you would help us to share the gospel with our loved ones, and to live consistently with it before them, and that they would be saved. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Oops.